It's common knowledge that nothing is more important to growing companies than recruiting, developing, and retaining human capital, plus having the systems to support that. Yet what I regularly see is HR being the last function to get filled, and typically it's with inexperienced players. Truly leveraging HR as you grow, that's what we're talking about in today's podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of the Leadership Journey Podcast. I'm Kelly McCauley, the president here at McCauley & Company, where we help good leaders become great through high-impact, results-driven leadership programs and executive coaching. Today, our esteemed guest is Alicia Parr, principal and founder of Performentor, a firm that offers HR support in a cost-effective way that's more flexible, practical, and high-impact than the alternatives. Alicia, thank you for joining us today to talk about smart, timely, and affordable ways to bring HR into growing businesses. Well, thank you for having me. So before we dive in, I want to give you a few more details about Alicia Parr. She's got deep experience in HR and delivers a behavioral science-informed and entrepreneurial business approach. As an entrepreneur at heart, Alicia has 20 years of HR experience in small businesses spanning multiple industries. Her expertise, co-authoring learning cultures, amplifying innovative environments, and building high-performing teams of HR experts. Okay, Alicia, tell us, what are the biggest mistakes that growing companies make, or frankly, any company makes, when it comes to HR? I can answer that in sort of two different ways. So one of them is, what is the biggest mistake when it comes to, you know, having HR or creating an HR function. And then maybe we can talk also a little bit about some of the most common mistakes, whether they've got HR or not. Um, Great. Yeah, so I've, I've seen all of, all of the above. Um, <laughs> so often what happens, as you mentioned, um, you know, you've got somebody who's like an office manager and or accountant. And oh, by the way, since you enter everything into payroll, you must be our HR. And you know, <laughs> Um, if we go back far enough in history, I was one of those people back in the hospitality industry. I was very surprised to learn that because I entered payroll, <laughs> that I was in HR, no training, no expertise whatsoever. Um, so I understand how that can be, but of course, you just want to um, help as much as you can. And that's certainly a very cost, seemingly cost-effective way to go. Now, um, what happens is, is that there's a lot of stuff that can happen uh, that if you don't get ahead of it, turns into bad problems, and then you need to call an attorney, and that's very, very expensive, Um, and those sorts of things could be caught earlier if you bring in a little bit more expertise. The other common issue is that um, um, some very well-meaning and very bright founders will bring in a full-time HR person, um, you know, because that's the only way that they can see to solve Um, a talent problem or a people problem is that I can only hire full-time people uh, rather than outsourcing or or bringing in fractional. Um, And so what happens is, is if you're growing really fast, the types of expertise that you need on the people side span anywhere from administrative work, tactical work, all the way to kind of strategic work. And you're just not going to find all that expertise in one person. Uh, So you either hire for the strategy and you're overpaying somebody to do administrative work, or you, um, hire somebody that's maybe a little bit more tactical and then you're really giving up and you're kind of ending up with those same problems that you get uh, when you are avoiding actually um, hiring at all. Or actually what happens is, is that somebody that maybe not very strategic will come in and they will fill their time building out processes that maybe aren't quite flexible um, as they 
growing business is really going to need. So those are two common problems when it comes to how do I build an HR function? Um, so, yeah. So um, now the other item is, you know, what are some common sort of people practices challenges that come up um, when scaling? And the most common ones are um, huge inconsistencies um, and maybe how hiring decisions are made or, you know, what set counts as a culture fit. Um, I may have heard before, um, you know, I know they're a culture fit because I'd love to go out and have a beer with them. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, that's um, maybe an okay start, uh, but not really um, a long-term great way to go about it. Um, and certainly ends up with inconsistencies um, in terms of how we're hiring and not very strategic. Um, and another thing that happens a lot is it really comes from the benefit of working for a smaller business, a growing business, is there's so much opportunity. So people that might not get the opportunity in a big corporate environment to move up very quickly get that opportunity in a small business. But guess what they don't get? They don't get a lot of coaching. They don't get mentorship. They don't get support and training on how to be a, be a manager, which is completely different um, from probably what they were doing before. So, um, so that's, that was a very long answer to your question. Crazy. <laughs> so. All the things that you're talking about happen in formal corporate HR run organizations as well. So just because the, the systems and processes are in place doesn't mean that leadership will honor them. And one of the things I discovered recently because in, in learn, thinking, you know, we got to get more resources to my leaders because the world is so complex and everyone's spread so thinly. And what I noticed was HR isn't being invited in on any of my engagements. And I've been doing it for 20 plus years in the financial services, you know, startups to fortune 100s. And so I wanted to discover what's going on with that. And I found that, you know, HR really, if they want a seat at the table, there's some work that needs to be done. And the biggest thing I saw from an HR perspective is they don't understand the business side of their business. They understand the people in the system side. So that's why I was so excited to bring you on because you obviously understand the business side. And that's why leaders aren't inviting HR to the table because if you don't understand their business, they believe how can you possibly add value? And so that's why the, the conundrum that we're facing, but also why I'm so excited about finding HR connections that I can make for my clients and for anyone who's listening to this podcast or watching the podcast. So tell us, you do something, so I haven't heard of this before, I've heard of fractional CEOs, fractional CFOs, fractional CMOs. I haven't heard of a fractional full stack HR organization. So tell us what that is and then how it can help companies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the fractional piece, I think more and more people are familiar with, especially in the small business setting. There's a lot of really talented, as you said, fractional, um, you know, C-level people in marketing and operations and in finance, especially. Um, you know, there's certainly an opportunity to do that um, in HR, because as we talked about earlier, um, what you need um, is a little bit of strategy, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and but you probably don't even need a full 
lifetime person um, earlier on. You know, you don't need the cost and, and you don't need somebody finding work <laughs> that isn't actually adding to the bottom line. Um, the full stack component is a terminology borrowed from technology. Um, and what that refers to is um, layering in more than one person uh, with a client so that they're getting kind of more maybe the more strategic HR experience maybe a little bit um, uh, a second chair, as I call it, I call it first chair, second chair, um, from maybe a business, um, uh, uh, maybe more of an operations person or a behavior scientist. I've got some, uh, what I call my people scientists uh, on the team. Um, and that way you've kind of got the more minds is more better um, effect um, so that you're getting the kind of expertise, but not more of it than you need. And then it's our job to work together um, to uh, to um, stay in sync, and then uh, we use a very tight operational model for staying in sync and then co-opting what our priorities are. So rather than getting into a project um, in agreement for a small business, um, and not that we don't do that, but, um, but it's not the most ideal, uh, because what's important in the project or how we scope it out the, at the first point in time, ends up almost never being exactly how it goes. And then there's other priorities. And then of course we've got, the, oh, well, we have you, we have this other thing going on. Uh, could you help us with that? And of course we want to do that. Um, and so I wanted to structure it in a way uh, that enables us to help uh, with the things that are most pressing and most needed. And then of course stay within the budget. So HR people under kind of understand what HR is, um, but we also do um, more kind of operational um, support, um, you know, all the, the full talent management suite. Um, it's like having a full um, HR and um, organizational development team um, but right size for a small business and with the right mindset for a small business. Um, I do have to be very careful about who I bring in um, because if you come from a large corporate background, you might think we need to do this big, huge, complicated thing. And, uh, and you know, I need to remind them that we might within a few years get to the big, huge, complicated thing. But what are the bite sized steps? Because if you give uh, an entrepreneur this big project and this big picture thing of like this huge complicated thing, they are going to just throw you out the door. Um, they're gonna be like, don't tell me about that. I can't think about all that. I need this problem to be solved. And then if, by the way, we can do a few things along the way that prevents this problem from recurring, then that's where I'm at and that's, let's stick with that. And I find that if you do that and you consistently iterate on, on things over time, um, that you look back after a year or two and it's amazing. You do have a big change. You have huge changes, but you don't do any of it all at once. You do it gradually. Um, and so that's really kind of how we go about doing things. Um, and as I mentioned, we, we really bring that um, orientation of people science. We really want to be practical, um, you know, and then also, but, you know, very entrepreneur friendly. So, yeah, so it's super custom. <laughs> yeah, it's super custom and you're keeping in mind their budget, their needs. And, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, parachuting in, start working on what matters most right now. Okay, we've, we're finding other things. Does it make sense to do that now or table this? So you're, you're moving and growing with the organization and leader that's growing. Yeah, I right. love that. Parachuting in, I'm going to use that. <laughs> 
Thank you. <laughs> so tell us what stage of business growth does it make sense to move from fractional to full time? And what do you recommend to your clients to make it a smooth transition? Yeah, um, you know, there's a there's a few different instances. So usually we work with businesses between about 10 and 100. Um, my experience is so far, and this varies quite a bit from client because I can give you some stories of some exceptions, uh, but usually between maybe 100 and 150 employees. I don't usually use revenue numbers because that's so variable, but depending on what the business model is. So I find that headcount seems to be the best proxy for figuring out when that when that makes sense. Um, so for example, so we work with an auto repair company. We were their entire outsourced HR for a period of about two years. And then it was time to hire a full-time person. We had built out the processes and we could, um, you know, bring in somebody who's really going to resonate with the front line really resonate with the middle managers and actually just execute on all the stuff that we've really got queued up for them. Um, and so that's what we did there. Um, and so made it super easy because we actually did most of the recruiting. Um, we pre-selected, here's the three people, four people that you want to really talk to as interviews. And then once we made that hiring decision, we did the bulk of the onboarding as well. Um, you know, and because we were HR, you know, um, we're incentivized for, you know, to have this person be as successful as possible. So it made it a really, really smooth transition. And of course, the relationship continues to this day. Um, another, um, I guess, uh, instance, a couple of other instances, usually stories kind of tell the, tell the tale pretty well, um, is that, you know, we're just starting to work with um, a chain of um, food, and and food and beverage industry. And, um, and they're, uh, you know, they're a little reticent to really even bring in very much HR and tend to be kind of using us just as needed. Now they have, I'm going to say maybe 300 and are opening some more locations and they're probably up to be 400 and 500 employees before we know it. Um, and they don't even have a full-time person yet. So that's a, you know, that's a big exception, right? You know, the industry really matters. Um, also work with a, a pest control client. And, um, and so they're at, I'm going to say about 60 employees. Um, they have um, plans for a lot of growth and they're already seeing a lot of growth through both organic growth and through uh, M&A. And, uh, and we are their really full-time HR, but one of our big priorities is because he sees them um, needing to hire a lot of people because there's a reasonable amount of turnover, uh, which I think we can, we can uh, reduce, uh, but then they're also going to be doing a lot of acquisitions. Um, and so they're going to, they see that you're going to be doing a, quite a bit of hiring. Um, so he wants to actually, uh, for us to build out the processes, make it custom for the business. Um, and then we can help them hire, um, you know, more of a junior recruiter. Um, that can dedicate their time to, you know, doing the recruiting and doing the onboarding. And then we step away from that piece and then work more in the, um, the leadership development structures. Because if you're, if you're acquiring new locations, you need to have a leadership pipeline, as you know, because you're an expert in that. <laughs> so, um, such an advantage that you have a pool of people who have different expertise to draw from, you know, tap from this and tap from that in Performentor. And I think that, you know, is an exceptional value to your clients because they probably need a little bit of everything as they're growing. I mean, I probably isn't the right word. They absolutely need it. 
So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Alicia, thank you for sharing your insights on how leaders can set up an HR advantage at any stage of growing their organization. Thank you very much for having me. And so if you want to learn more about Alicia Parr and the additional offerings of Performentor, please visit www.performentor.biz. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-E-N-T-O-R.biz. To listen to more podcasts like this, please visit macaulayandco.com forward slash podcast and check out our online blueprint for high-performing leaders self-study program for yourself or for members of your team. Until next time, we wish you the best on leading yourself and others to higher levels of success. Alicia, thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you, Kelly. It's been a pleasure.